good singing this morning. You may be seated. Amen. Good singing indeed. Now when David teaches in the junior church, Brian and Shannon are back there teaching right now, but David and April begin teaching in the morning worship hour, our children in September. You will know why he runs out to the door and waves at me at the end of service. He's got plenty of watches. I mean, I've never seen a man with that many watches. I'm glad sometimes when you get a preaching or a teaching from the Word of God, it's directed at you. And I mean in the sense as the preacher. Exodus 3 is where we are this morning. We're going to study the life of Moses and his walk with God. That's who we have been studying to this point. Last week we looked at the fact that he was delivered to God's purpose. This morning we're going to see that in his walk with God, Moses was delivered in God's promises. And so we'll read our text this morning beginning in chapter 3 and verse 16. And down through verse 22, and we'll study chapters 3 and 4 together today. The Bible says in Exodus 3 and verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that, that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. That's the first promise that Moses is given and he's giving to the people. Unto the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice. That's the second promise that God gives to Moses. And thou shalt come, and thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. That's a third promise so far. No, not by a mighty hand or by the full might of man. Verse 20, and I will stretch out my hand, there's a fourth promise, and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. That's a fifth promise. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. That's the sixth promise. Just in this little passage, all these promises. And it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor, and of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil Egypt. Father, help us this morning as we now turn our attention to the promises of God. As we'll see this morning, your promises are yea and amen. For us as believers in the New Testament, that is so in Christ. For Moses, it was so as you revealed yourself in that bush. As the great I am in statement. So God, this morning as we turn our hearts to the word, may we realize just how important your promises are. We've sung of them this morning that we stand upon them. I pray that is true. I pray not only that we would stand, but that we would live the final hymn that we sung, Trusting Jesus. It is trusting your goodness. It is trusting your word. It is trusting your very promises. Bless us, I pray this morning, that we too might be delivered from the old life of sin. 
into the new life of Christ through these same promises. Bless all that is said and done in this hour, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses, we noted last Sunday, was delivered to God's purpose. God's purpose for mankind, we said, is to turn from living in the flesh, which Moses had done in chapter 2, to living by faith in God. That's what God wants for every person that walks planet Earth, to turn from themselves to Him in faith. God moves then from purpose to promise in the life of Moses. Those who live according to His purpose receive from God precious Powerful and, yes, even provable promises that are given to us in this book. In the little passage that we read this morning, we found six, and there are countless other promises that we can find from God that He reveals in His book. You can trust God, therefore you can trust His promises. This is the deliverance we need in a world of instability. A world that is unsettled, a world that seemingly is tearing itself apart at the seams. We need something to hold to, something that will deliver us, and that is God's Word. Joshua declared this in Joshua 21, and in verse 45, at the end of all of the liberation and establishment in the land, Joshua wrote, There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. The promises of God, friend, unlock our Christian life. It is the promises of God that open up our life of faith. You know, the most miserable people in the world are those that don't live within the promises of God. They are the Christians who live within the terrifying punishment of God. What God wants, rather, is to deliver you to His purpose, but He does so in His Word according to His promises. It is in the promises of God that the believer finds the positive encouragement to serve God and to do His will. It is dependency upon and living within the promises of God that a believer can then be consistent in this Christian life. There is stability. There is structure because the God who saves us now through His word and His promises is guiding us. This is what He does with Moses. Once He turns him to His purpose, He says, now you can trust in my promises. And He does not end in giving promise after promise after promise to Moses. God is not afraid to keep His Word. He loves for you and I to trust and prove Him at His Word. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, opening his second letter to the Corinthians, addresses the the issue of being consistent in the Christian life, and he ties it to the promises of God. If you want, you can turn over. We'll put on the screens as well this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. And we'll start our reading in verse number 12. We'll come back to Exodus 3. We're going to cover it in its totality this morning, chapters 3 and 4. But but I want you to see that this is a New Testament principle, trusting in the promises of God. The deliverance that is ours from a corrupt and confused world through the promises that God gives in His Word. Paul, talking to the Corinthians, says this, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that is, in other words, the proof that we have within ourselves, that we know is true, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation or we have conducted ourselves in the world. 
Paul says, I I know who I am and I know how I've conducted myself in the world. It has been both in simplicity and in sincerity. And more abundantly, he says to you, or he goes, if the world knows that about me, you as the church ought to really know that about me. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge. In other words, I didn't write any other letters. The first letter I sent to you was to straighten out the kinks, to get the wrinkles out of Christ's beautiful bride, the church. And he says, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. Hold to those things that I said. As also ye have acknowledged us in part that we are, we are your rejoicing. They were glad for the Apostle Paul, he says. Even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul said, there's coming a day where you, Corinth, will be my glory. Can I say to you, there's coming a day in the years that I've pastored here, I will say to God, bluegrass was my glory for the time you let me be here. That's what Paul's saying here. If you go down now to verse number 17, you finish or complete the thought that Paul puts together. And that is this, when I therefore was thus minded, did I use likeness? And what he's saying here is, when I knew what the trouble was in your midst, did I come with likeness? And he says, no. Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? By the way, this is the connection to what we're studying in Moses. Deliverance comes with a purpose. It comes to accomplish God's purpose. And, and Paul is saying to the Corinthians, did, did I write these things in likeness to you? Did, were they just a flight of fancy in my mind? No, they had intention in the words. Amen. That with me, there should be yea, yea, and nay, Nay, but as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. It wasn't confused. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay. It wasn't mixed signals. The word of God, the promises of God are true. He goes on, he says, for all the... but, But, excuse me, he finishes that verse, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yea, and in Christ, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now, he which establisheth us with you in Christ, or who has given us the credence, the the, uh, testimony, and the conduct, the life before you, the guarantee, the earned reputation, hath anointed us as God who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you, I came not as yet unto Corinth. He said, I wanted to come with a stick. And God said to me, Paul is saying, not yet. Let my promises work their natural conclusion. Let them understand the yea and the yea. Not for that we have dominion over your faith. Paul says, I'm not your boss but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. What a truth. The promises, Paul says, are the yea and amen. Paul says that consistency for the Christian rests in the yea and amen, or the established nature of God's promises. They are that which delivers us from that old life of sin. Yes, we are called to a new purpose in salvation, but the calling is defined within the promises of God. The promises that God gives, we can shape our lives with them. Deliverance from problems in the old life can be found by living in the promises of the new life. Let me say that again. Deliverance from the problems of the old life can be lived within the promises for the new life. 
We don't just have to live saying, oh, God's going to punish me for this. Instead, we can say, no, I choose to do this because this is what God has revealed to me. These are his promises. This is what I know is true. And friend, this is very true back in our passage in Exodus 3 of the life of Moses. His walk with God was a walking deliverance in God's promises. So we find three promises generally that God gives to Moses. Now, some of you are thinking, you just gave us six. And if we're going to go through all of chapters three and four, there's a whole lot more. Yes, I'm, I'm broadly categorizing these promises here. When God makes some of these promises to Moses here, he's giving to, them to him in kind of broad groupings so that Moses can say, I can depend upon all of God's promises, but I know in certain areas of my life or in certain facets exactly how I can trust God's promises. The first thing that we come to is found in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11, and that is that God promises engagement in our life. He promises to be involved with us. There should be a lot of amens with that. God wants to be with you. That's his name, Emmanuel, God with us. This is how he reveals himself to Moses. Look in chapter 3 and verse 11. We'll go back from our text where we read this morning. We pick up when we find in chapter 3 and verse 11, And Moses said unto God, Who am I? What a great question. (laughs) that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he, God said, verse 12, certainly I will be with thee. Five more times through chapters 3 and 4, God is going to say to Moses, I will be with thee, 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 I will be with thy mouth. God is going to constantly tell Moses, I am going with you. I have engaged my being in your being. When we get saved, we get all of God and we get all of his promises to fulfill in our lives. That is deliverance. That's the joy of salvation. We might be tempted to look at Moses and his question here and criticize him for doubting God. Be careful. Moses isn't doubting God. He is asking God to show his part or his involvement in the process. Moses in the flesh was an unsuccessful liberator, was he not? We talked about this last Sunday. He was a murderer in his flesh. That's not very good. That's a terrible track record. The statement from Moses is actually quite humble back to God. God, I can't do what you're asking me to do. Who am I? Any good servant of God will lead with that question. It shows true humility. You should never follow a man that says, I've got all of the answers. You should always follow a man that says, God has all of the answers. What Moses is saying here is, who am I? I'm nobody. God loves nobodies, by the way. Warren Wearsby, the great commentator, said this of this particular statement from Moses. He says, a person acting in the flesh is impulsive and sees no obstacles. Watch out for a pastor. Watch out for a church member. Watch out for a spouse. or Watch out for children that say, I can do this. I got it. No problem. When it comes to spiritual things. Wearsby concludes, but a person humbly walking in the spirit knows the battles that lie ahead. Moses was asking God, I don't know how this is going to work out. Who am I? 
God promises in reply to Moses' question, I'll be with you. That's a good question, Moses. Don't worry, I'm here. God effectively says, I am active and I am engaged in the process of delivering my people. This morning, if you have been saved and you are walking with God and you are struggling with old sins, may I remind you, God is with you. Who we are in this life is not important, we learn from this passage. But that God is with us is the only thing of importance. Without God, we can do nothing. Jesus said it this way in John 15 and verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. (laughs) Kind of takes your self-esteem and kicks it right out the door. You know, the Bible never tells you to have self-esteem, ever. It says to have Savior esteem or Spirit-filled esteem, not self-esteem. The writer of Hebrews said it this way in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, Let your conversation or your manner of conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For David, it must be a lot of watches that we learned this morning. For he, that is God, hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The writer of Hebrews understood what what Moses was trying to come to understand in his day. Trusting the promises of God, God will be my helper. It is a welcome assurance that God promises to engage in our lives. God promised Moses that he would engage in his troubles. He promises that he will engage in our troubles as well. Go back to chapter 3 and verse 7. We read this last week, but I have to borrow in from it for our thought this morning. And that is this. Sometimes in the Christian life, we think God doesn't know where we are or what we're going through. God always knows what you're going through. He always knows exactly where you are, and he always knows what's best. Here's what he says to Moses in talking to him at the burning bush in verse number 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down. Not only does he know, he acts to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large, into a land that floweth with milk and honey, unto a place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Verse 9, Now therefore, behold, their cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. God is acutely aware of every one of your intimate internal troubles and problems. He knows you. Or he made you. This is the context of these promises that we read beginning in verse number 16. What a promise that God will engage in the problems you face in this life. Who will deliver you? God will deliver you. By the way, let me at least say, and I put these in your notes. There are two types of problems and God will deliver you from both. The first type of problem I call the sinfully self-induced problem. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of us can say, (laughs) I had five of those just this morning? I get a feeling with David because he did the same stewardship challenge in both services that when he gets home, April's going to ask him about her crafting products. I don't know, but I just got that sense. 
right? Sometimes we induce our own problems. They're self-inflicted wounds. But you know, even God can deal with those. He can deliver you from those. The sinfully self-inflicted problems, God will guide us to the right resolution or to the necessary restitution that must be made. If you have sinned this morning against your spouse, your kids, your parents, or any other person in this world, the Bible tells you to go to them immediately and seek forgiveness. It really is that simple. The promise of the Holy Spirit in John 14 and John chapter 16 is that the Spirit of God dwelling within us will convict us of sin. He will reprove the world, yes, but to the believer indwelling us, he will teach us right and wrong and teach us the process of necessary forgiveness. If you know you've sinned against another, then go and make it right. Go in meekness, go in kindness, go in humility, go in obedience, but go and seek forgiveness. God wants to engage in your life in the troubles that you face. Even the troubles that you have caused, he wants to help. Now, that's not the case that we find for Moses. Now, we will find for Moses and for the children of Israel, they will have some self-inflicted problems down the road. But at this present time, Israel, in, under Jacob's leadership, as Israel himself, brings them under God's direction to Egypt when Joseph was the governor under Pharaoh. And so Israel found themselves here under no fault of their own. This enslavement, this task mastery, if you will, of the Egyptians and Pharaoh was not at their doing. So it leads us to the second type of problems that all of us face, and that is sanctifying problems. What is God trying to teach you or work into you through the problems that you face? Not the self-inflicted. Those are just, well, I was a dummy. I need to take care of it. Yes, you are, and yes, you should. These are the problems that you didn't ask for and are unwarranted, undeserved, you might say, but that come into all of our lives. Moses' problems were sanctifying problems. That is, they were problems brought on by God to draw Moses and Israel back into fellowship within the relationship that he purposed for them. They were to leave Egypt. Separation from the world is what they picture. And that would come with a host of problems. Can I give you a secret this morning so you understand why I'm teaching on these characters? You getting saved and leaving the world or forsaking the world throughout your walk with God will also bring a host of problems into your life. Well, I thought getting saved would make everything better. Oh, it does. But it doesn't take away problems. Your salvation brings with it a host of problems. It isn't easy to leave our flesh. It isn't easy to leave the world. It isn't easy to now have a new adversary, the devil, who walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's not easy. There are problems. But God's there with you. He will help and sustain you through them. God promises Moses that he will engage in his life to help Moses overcome the problems that may arise in this process of separation from the world. God promises to come and to deliver us as well from the troubles that plague us in this sin-fallen world. But you must come to his promises and live within them. Deliverance is in God's promise. It's not exempted from them. It's not living apart from them. The promise of engagement is that he helps us in our troubles, but it is letter B through our trust. 
we keep reading in verse number 10, the Bible says this, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God on this mountain. God will engage, but he will not force himself upon us. Even after our salvation, he will not force himself upon us. Everything that Moses sees, with everything that Moses is going to experience, the choice for God to truly deliver him and Israel rests upon his, Moses' faith in God. How much do you trust God? The more you trust God, the Bible teaches this, especially in the New Testament, the more that you will be filled with his presence, his spirit. The more you trust yourself, the less you will be filled with his spirit. And for Moses here, it was a do I trust God moment? Do I believe this is true? God wants to engage and God will engage in the process of delivering you from a life of sinfulness to a life of holiness, to a life of health, to a life of happiness in Christ. But you must believe that he can help according to his word and he will according to his promises. Interestingly enough, in this passage in verse 12, God gives a token to Moses. The token is not some massive miracle in the moment, but rather the token that will be proof that God's promises have come true is that he would be back on this very mountain worshiping God in this very place. Can I tell you, this is a great picture of the Christian life, living by faith in the promises of God as we sojourn here below. The the great joy for many in the passing of a loved one that knows Christ is that they are now in glory. Their faith has become sight. That is a great joy. It's a great comfort to all of us. But may I suggest to you, this is exactly what God is saying to Moses. It's what he says to us. You've trusted me in this life, but as you live in this life and you walk through this life in a promised version, in other words, in accordance to the promise that I give you, as you're living this life, the token of me being your God is someday you will worship me in this mountain. Do you live your life with an eye towards that day where you will receive a well done, thou good and faithful servant? Enter ye into the joy of the Lord. What he's saying to Moses is every step you're going to want to see the manifestation of that promise coming true. But you've got to trust. You've got to trust. You've got to trust. You've got to trust. And there will be a day where the payoff and the promise will be seen in its full glory. But during the process, you just got to trust. That's hard for a lot of Christians, isn't it? I want instant gratification. I want God to do it now, and I want him to do it my way. Not according to the word of God, not according to his promises. He said, I'm going to set you a token. It's not that you're going to float and levitate down to Pharaoh, and you're going to whack him upside the head with a stick, and he's going to die. He could have done any and all of those things. He said, no, you're just going to trust my promises, do the next responsible and obedient thing, the next responsible and obedient thing, and when it comes to the fulfillment of this promise, you'll be worshiping me on this mountain. That's what he says to the Christian when they get saved. It's no different. Just walk by faith, not by sight. Day by day, trusting and obeying the word of God. His promises deliver us. For Moses to receive the blessing of God's promises, Moses would have to take hold of them and live them daily until they were were fulfilled completely. 
God promises to engage, then He promises, number two, enablement. Not only will He be with us, He will empower and ensure, enable all that He promises will be done. That practically means that God promises to engage through our very lives, we His servants, that He also will enable them to do His work. We find this with Moses. We find first that He enables our testimony. In verse 13, we continue our reading in chapter 3. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, and shall say say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is His name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am, the self-existent, existent God. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, The Lord thy God, the, father, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. And then we come into the text that we read this morning. This is the promise, and we find six times he gives him enabling promises. You can prove it, you can prove it, you can prove it, you can prove it. God says, I will enable you to do the work, and I will prove it every step of the way. One of my favorite stories is in the New Testament. It's in the book of Acts. The Sanhedrin is responding to the apostles calls them unlearned and ignorant men. That was when Peter and John appeared before the Sanhedrin. The difference for Peter and John and all of the rest in that early church was not their own abilities, but it was their testimony, the witness as to whom they had been with. Here's what the Bible actually says in chapter 4 and verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, how would you like that to be said of you? Well, I know that Kyle is just a dummy. By the way, they would probably be very correct in assuming that of me. He's just a dummy. They marveled. Not that they were so dumb, but that the eloquence of these individuals, the skill of Peter and John to defend their faith before the Sanhedrin, they took knowledge. This is their living testimony that they had been with Jesus. That's all that matters, Christian. That people can see in your life that you've been with Jesus. Moses' earlier testimony before the Jews was, I'm not really excited about being a Hebrew. I mean, I don't want the Egyptians whipping you guys, so I killed one of them. But when times got tough, instead of sticking around, I ran. That was his testimony. And so what he's asking God here is, how do I go back and have any credence with him? How do I go back and have any testimony with him? What is my character witness? And God says, I'm your character witness. That's the promise. By the way, killing an Egyptian and running from being called a Hebrew is not a winning formula for success in leadership. It's called being a coward. Now, in Moses' life, God was the power, the enablement behind his testimony, not Moses. Some of you have unsaved friends and family members from a life before you trusted Christ. And you say, I don't know how I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. Just tell them what Jesus did. Talk about the enabling that came when Christ entered your life. Literally, Moses' message was this. I've met God. He changed me. He told me he'll do the same for you. 
Is that not our message today? Is that not the message of salvation? Is that not what we believe as Christians, as followers of Christ? Moses' character had changed, and that change was evident in his conduct. How you conduct yourself in the world says everything about who it is that's enabling your life. How you act, your testimony. God promises to enable our testimony if we will live within his promises. Letter B, he enables our talents. We go into chapter 4 and realize that chapters and verses are given to us by the translators for our benefit in reading. But the story doesn't break. It's not like Moses sat down and took a rest. The story continues. After he tells them that they would go out effectively with a high hand in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, the Bible says this in chapter 4 and verse 1, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice. They're not going to believe the change of my character. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? Jason did a great job last Sunday evening in the Sunday school hour talking about these things. But for our purposes today, I'm not talking about the freedom from bondage. I'm talking about the deliverance from the old life. And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it upon the ground. And he cast it upon the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. You would too. We did find out that Scott's the only guy that wouldn't have fled from it. Is he in here this morning, Ms. Karen? He's outside, I think. He's sitting there on security. Apparently, he's good at grabbing the snakes by the tail and whipping their heads off. I don't know. You've got to come on Sunday night. You miss some fantastic stories. <laughs> Verse 4, And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it and became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said, Furthermore unto Moses, unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, it was leprous as snow. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out. That phrase, plucked it out, literally means he jerked it out to see what was happening. See if it went back to normal. It was turned again as, a, as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that, they, that thou shalt take of the water of the river, pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou hast taken out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Here is the point. God is going to use whatever you have in your talents, in your abilities, and in your life. For His glory. He will enable you. God delivers us through the promise of using who we are and what we can do. These two miracles speak to God using us in the physical realm. Of course, God is spirit. John 4, 24 teaches us that. Yet God moves and works within this physical realm so that we might glorify Him. It is an amazing thing when I look across our church. I start with our church staff. When I look at our church staff and then add them, to them the deacons and those who serve in leadership and then all of the members of this place, I am constantly amazed at what God puts together. On the staff, we've got a college dropout. You're like, who is that? Me. Didn't finish college. Some of you are like, oh, really? I'm going to get up and leave now. You sound so eloquent. <laughs> They couldn't find his career path in the government until God worked in his life and he went to become a janitor. That's how I started in ministry. I was the ball coach and a janitor. I don't know which one was worse, being the janitor or being the ball coach. 
You got Edward, who is a reporter, who got saved and then ran from God. You got Zach, who's a young guy who lives perfectly and upright in everything he does. You got Wes, who's a farmer. You got Pam, who's married to a Marine. You got Kathy, who's married to Billy. I see Billy out there. He's on security. That's just the staff. Go through the deacons and see what God has put together. And the point is, God likes to use whatever we've got. He enjoys using a bunch of us nobodies to do his work. That's what he loves. He is building a good work here in our church through what the world would consider a bunch of nobodies. Yet, we nobodies are willing to be yielded to God, thus he enables the talents and abilities. He will do the same for you if you will but yield to him. Moses was here learning that the great I am, the self-existent one, was the great right here and right now. That's what he's learning from God. When God moves not just in to be with us, but begins enabling our testimony, our character, and our conduct, the talent of our hands, what we have to do, then we really know and trust his promises because we see them come true. Maybe you should ask, what promises of God do you need to trust with your talents, with your abilities, with your resources, your giving. God has made you uniquely and wonderfully you to be used within this church for His glory. That's what He's delivered you to in His purpose. He's promised to enable you. There's a promise of engagement, the promise of enablement, and finally this morning, the promise, God promises effectiveness. One of the most frustrating things I've seen in my entire life or have experienced in my entire life is when you are engaged in a work project. It does not matter if it's sacred or secular. Whatever the project is, when you engage in it and you don't see results. Man, that is frustrating. God promises Moses, not only will I be with you, not only will I enable your testimony and talents, he says, and I will make them all effectively useful. Every bit of who you are. God does not need you, my friend, to be superhuman to do His work. He will cause your ordinary work to be effective as you yield to Him, choosing to believe and obey His promises. Oh yes, Moses yet again struggles when we come to chapter 4. He struggles with the idea that God could actually use him for His glory. God promises him effectiveness in two key areas. Letter A, that Moses would be effective in his words. He promises us that we will be effective in the words of our mouth. Look at verse number 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Do you know what that means, that part of the verse? It means he, he stuttered when he, when, he, when he talked. He would have a hard time. You ever met somebody like that? I knew a guy like that in the church in Virginia. He was a bus mechanic. Best bus mechanic you'll ever want to meet. Edward knows who I'm talking about. When he would meet with the guys on the staff, or he had the guys that were his superiors on the staff, and he would deal with them, if he loved and trusted them, and those people had shown kindness and compassion to him, he could talk no problem. But it wasn't them. It was hard. He could talk to my dad like it was his brother. He never stuttered or stammered a bit. When it was my dad. He loved my dad. One time I sat near he and his wife in church. And when he sang, he didn't sing particularly well. <laughs> but when he sang, 
wasn't a stammer to his tongue. I don't know why that is. Only God could explain. But that seems to be what Moses struggled with here. See, he had real-world problems. Paul had a real-world problem, probably an issue with his eyes. A man who did such great missionary work was not hindered or halted because of his eyes. What Moses is saying is, there's something that might hold me back. And God says, you just yield to me and I'll make you effective. I promise. The Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go. God doesn't equivocate. He just says, go. And I will, be, I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Moses is still in disbelief that God could use him. This is the first time we, by the way, find Moses halting or, or, or uh, hesitating in any way. The other questions, I think, are clarification questions, which God fills in with promises. And God even here says, not to worry, I can overcome your shortcomings. I am the all-powerful, effective God. And if I want it done, I'll do it through you if, that ha- if, if I can. We find letter A, he's effective in his words. The greatest fear of the New Testament believer often is, I don't know what to say or what I should witness when I come in contact with others. I get that. I understand the fear. But God tells us not to worry what we will say. He says, I will fill your mouth. You just yield your mouth to me. Moses was afraid of his stammering tongue, but he only needed to yield himself to God's promise. I will be thy mouth. I will teach thee what thou shalt say, God says. Jesus gives the New Testament believer the very same promise. In the same passage that David read from this morning in his stewardship challenge, In verse 16, he's talking about stewardship or what we have. Earlier, he's talking about speaking or witnessing or testifying of the things that Christ had done. Here's what he says in Luke 12 and verse 12. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. Oh, what a truth. God does not need great orators in his Christians. He just needs obedient Christians who will simply open their mouth to share the message of deliverance. Look again in Acts chapter 4, those ignorant and unlearned men, after they had been tried before the Sanhedrin and released, they go back to the church, and the Bible picks up in verse 23 and says this, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. The they here is the church. And the church said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain or empty things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou has anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Boy, this probably felt like Moses right here. I got to go talk to Pharaoh? I got to free my people from Egypt? I mean, are you kidding me? I can't do that. God says, I've got the effective power. Here's what the early church said. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. I'm sure Pharaoh was going to threaten Moses. We'll find out how he does. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal. 
and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with what? Boldness. Christian, don't you ever worry about how God will deliver your tongue in the time necessary of witness. He will. You just open your mouth. God will make our witness effective if we will but open our lips. He promises to do so. God promises effectiveness in our words. And finally this morning, effectiveness in His work. In verses 14 through 23 in the chapter, we find that the last little discussion between God and Moses takes place. Look what the Bible says in verses 14, 15, and 16. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? By the way, when we start to push back against God's effectiveness, he will push back against us. Sometimes some of the trouble in your life is because you're not yielding to God. He will break you. I can attest to that. He has broken me many a time in my 47 years. Notice what he says, and this is the stinger, if you will. What did Moses just say to God? Well, I can't do it. You can't effectively work through me. I'm not an eloquent man. He says, hey, your brother Aaron, the Levite, is coming. I know that he can speak well. He's better than you. Oof. God, I will retract that statement. You go ahead and use me. Too late. When you push back against God... God will say, and it's part of his promises. Now Aaron's going to be part of the party. By the way, that's going to cause trouble down the road. Had Moses just believed God and trusted his effectiveness and got to work, we wouldn't have the rebellion in Numbers chapter 12 that we'll study in this series of Miriam and Aaron. We wouldn't have the whoop, golden calf that jumps up out of the fire, apparently, while Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments. Continue reading, and thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. Moses is still the one that God wants to effectively work through, but he's going to lose out on some of the opportunity because he halted. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. By the way, that's a very interesting thing. He was not the spokesman to Pharaoh. He was a spokesman to the Israelites. Moses lost out on his long-term leadership ability. Or at least seeded some of it. He shall be even, he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. In other words, everything that you need to say to the people, it's going to go through Aaron now. And thou shalt be to him instead of God. In other words, God says, I'm going to talk to you, Moses, and you're going to tell everything to Aaron. But Aaron's going to be the one that turns around and tells it to all the people. By the way, when we resist God, we do make his work a little bit harder. But he'll still get his work done. Moses' halting is going to cause problems later. Yet even in our hesitation, God is faithful to provide reassurance through His promises. Where God had promised to be with His mouth, God now reaffirms that He will be with Moses and Aaron's mouth in verse number 15. God will have His work done. Moses, because he doubted God's promises, loses full leadership of Israel. Moses was the spokesman to Pharaoh, but Aaron would become the spokesman to Israel. Look in verse 30. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. He loses out. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that they had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Even though Moses lost out, and his job became much harder, God still caused their work together to be effective. Oh, that we would be effective in our words and in our works for the glory of God. 
In closing this morning, God promises delivered Moses to the task. When we get to chapter 5, which we will in a couple weeks, Moses is ready to do the work. He's been delivered to God's purpose. He's being delivered in God's promises. And he will be delivered by God's power. Because now the true test comes. i got to stand before Pharaoh. Is this God real? And the answer is most assuredly yes. Moses had questions about life and what God wanted for him. And each time he asked God, God would respond with another promise that he could trust. We opened in the reading in Psalm 119 with one of these little verses in verse 92. And I wanted to close with it this morning. 